It's great to be here with everyone. Thank you for, thanks for coming out on Mother's Day um, to be a part of the table this morning. Um, yeah, it's great to be with Julian and Katia. Thank you for inviting me to speak this morning. I love you guys. I love this church, love this community. So um, yeah, thank you. We, um, I'm just going to start off by some prayer. And um, it's going to be a little bit different this morning. Just for a couple seconds, I'm going to ask you guys to do something that might be a little bit weird. Um, but today, during my sermon, I'm going to be talking a little bit about how we're called to be as the people of God, just different. Um, we're, we're called to be contrary to the world around us. And so I pointed this out a couple weeks ago in worship, but I'm pointing it out again that actually these Sunday mornings when we gather, they're different. It's different from, from the hurry of the world around us, the people most of the city is probably sleeping in or having a nice brunch, but we're gathering, we're hanging out with people that we don't know, who look different from us, who sound different from us. We're singing, we're, we're praying, we're pausing our lives to be together in community. Um, and so I'm just going to have, let's just all close our eyes and I'm just going to take a 30-second-ish pause of awkward silence, but just invite the Holy Spirit. Just, just recognize this moment that we're, that we're doing something that is contrary to the world, and just invite the Holy Spirit to speak. So, Father, we just, um, we just invite you to speak to us, even in our silence right now, God. Just unhurry the, the noise in our hearts and in our minds right now. Right. Amen. I feel like I could do that for like two hours. How nice is that, right? <laughs> there was a, yeah, I'm an introvert, so that, uh, like, I could totally do that, though. <laughs> there was a surprising, like, lack of noise until the end there, too, so, and then there it comes. Uh, <laughs> Alrighty, so, just give it a second. Oh, no. All right, I'm going to speak over the sirens. So um, for those of you guys who don't know me, I'm just going to give you a little bit of context for my story and who I am. Like, um, oh, sorry. Like Julian said, I've, I've known Julian and Katya for about five, four and a half years now, or five years. Um, I've known Jeff and Ash and Sarah. I've got history with a lot of the people here, but I don't have history with everyone here yet. Um, so I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my story, and I'll tie that in later in in my talk, but um, I grew up in Reno, Nevada, over towards the West Coast, um, and I was a pastor's kid of a quite large church there. My dad was a pastor. Um, I didn't know it was a big church at the time, but I thought it was pretty normal, but looking back, I'm like, wow, this place was, was big. And um, so I grew up in that culture, in the Christian culture, evangelical culture, my whole childhood. and. Um, Nevada, if you guys don't know, it's not a very Christian place, surprisingly, I know. Um, so where, where I grew up in Reno, Nevada, was actually recently ranked the second most non-church or unchristian, un unfaith cities, um, second behind Boston, actually, <laughs> believe it or not. So I'm familiar with this, but, but that tells you a little bit about my childhood of growing up a pastor's kid in a city that was very 
unchurched. And so you knew the Christians in town if you were a Christian because it was so a part of who you were. It wasn't a cultural thing that you just did because everyone did it. No, you were going against the grain if you were going to church on Sunday being a Christian. Um, and something beautiful about the way my parents raised me is that they, um, they put us out into the world. They were like, you're going to be in public school. You're going to do everything a normal kid does, but we're going to instill these Christian values in you through your childhood. Um, and that was great. It was hard, but it was great. Um, and so I was definitely the, the religious kid of my friend group, you know? My best friend, John, in first, in first grade, like I, I made friends with this guy, John, and in high school when we got cell phones, he put my ringtone as the song Shout to the Lord. I don't know if you guys know that song. So whenever I called him, because I was like his Christian, his one Christian friend. Um, and so that was like my, my childhood was very different. And my friends also knew that, that we didn't do what other kids did, you know? They, they would turn off the R-rated movies when I came over, and they were actually really great. I had some good friends who didn't, they didn't judge me, but they said, oh, Jeshua doesn't watch this. He doesn't, um, he doesn't play these violent video games when he, when we, he comes over, and um, he doesn't do that, he doesn't do that. They just knew that I didn't do those things. Um, and it was, it was hard sometimes, but there was a beauty in it because um, I was living a different way to the world around me. Um, and it wasn't until around high school, well, no, middle school, 13 years old, that I really had my first encounter with God. And while I knew that, I, I always knew God and knew who he was and knew the Bible. It was 13 at a youth camp when I felt like God spoke to me and really like, made my faith my own and said, Jesus, I want to live for you. This is what I want to do. And um, it was in a worship moment during camp. The Lord spoke to me. And from then on, my life really changed. Through high school, I was very like devoted to God. When I got my, I bought my sister's car when I was 16 and I felt the Lord so clearly say to me like, this car is mine. And I, I dedicated, Lord, whenever someone asks me for a ride, I'm going to say yes, as long as I own this car. And there was this like heart in me that wanted to give, 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 give. Um, and while I don't recommend that, have boundaries. It was beautiful. <laughs> It was beautiful as like a 16-year-old just like dedicating myself to the Lord. And I'm not saying it was a perfect childhood. I struggled with depression in high school. I had some health issues that really took over my life for a while in high school. But there was this beauty in saying yes to God. And, and um, yeah, so um, that's, that's just a little bit about my story. Eventually, I took a non-traditional route, didn't go to college, but went to a school in Redding, California called Bethel school of supernatural ministry which is where i went, met these guys and these guys and so that's kind of what what led me here to boston but i don't need to tell you all those details um so we are going to dive into a very common piece of scripture if you've been around the church you probably heard this one before but i just want to set some um set the stage first if you guys we're going to open to matthew chapter 5 so if you guys have your bibles i'm going to read it um, but if you do have your Bibles, you can pull that up. Um, but because it's a popular uh, piece of scripture, I just want to invite you to just clean, put a blank slate on if you can. Just, just um, as, as I describe these, these scriptures, just invite the Holy Spirit to speak something fresh to you within them. So Matthew chapter 5. 
And so a little bit of context about this verse. I'm just going to read verse 1 really quick, and then we'll jump into the meat, into the Beatitudes. Seeing the crowds, and this is about Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So there are these crowds. There's crowds gathering, and they want to hear what Jesus has to say. And this, this phrase, he went up on the mountain, is actually a direct quote from Exodus 19, where Moses went up to the mountain and came back with what? He came back with the Ten Commandments in that moment. So, so Matthew, the, the writer of this book, and Jesus are, are trying to point us back to this specific moment in time. And all the Jews in that moment, they would have known this. If, if you're quoting scripture, they've read this scripture so many times, they know what, what, what's happening here. So they're seeing Jesus come down on a mountain, and what, what are they called back to? Moses. And so they, they were actually even expecting a new Moses to come. There's some Old Testament scriptures that said one like Moses would come. And so Moses brought the law. They're expecting, okay, is this a new law for us? Is this, a, is this going to be more rules for us to follow? Is this going to be another Ten Commandments? What does Jesus have to say? Um, and that's important. I think the, the context of that is really important. So... I'm going to jump into reading the scripture, and this is the Beatitudes. It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, do you see how that might have been a bit interesting to the Jews who are expecting the law. They're expecting Moses. They're expecting something that's, that's harsh. But Jesus came and he speaks these words. Um, and for us now, we, we might not be expecting a new Moses to come. We might not be wanting to hear the next prophet speak to us. At least the world around us isn't expecting that. At a core level, we are crying out for the voice of God. The world wants to know what to do. They want to know what's next. They want to know, okay, what do I need to do to live a blessed life? 
um, and they're asking these questions even subconsciously. They don't know it's Jesus who's, who's going to bring that to them, but, but it is. Um, and so that we have to believe that these world words are relevant for us today, too. Even though we're not in that Jewish context, we are in the midst of a crazy world. Um, and the Jews were in the midst of a crazy world. They were under this regime called the Romans that was, um, that was holding them back from living their full potential. They weren't living in... The, their land was occupied by another kingdom. Um, and it's similar to us today. We're living in crazy times. There's, it's tumultuous. There's... There's anger, there's fear, there's empires that are trying to, to you know, control us. And, and so we can listen to these words with the same weight as the Jews did at the time. Um, and there are three things that I just kind of want to take out of some of these Beatitudes, and I'll jump back to, I won't get to all of them, but there's these three, three words that God kind of highlighted to me. Um, and there are three C's. So we have contrary, con- contrasting, and confusing. So as people of God, um, we are meant to be contrary, contrasting, and confusing. So before you get confused, I'm going to jump into each one of these individually. So we're going to start with contrary. We are called to be contrary to the world around us. We're called to be contrary to culture. And contrary to me just means not doing what the world is doing. We're, we're not, we're not going to engage in all the things that they're engaging with. Like in my childhood with my parents, we... We knew not to do certain things because we're called to live contrary to the world. So let's jump into to one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I've heard it said that poor in spirit means those who know they know, need God. That, that you know that at a core level, the only thing that will satisfy you is God. Um, and so... We live, in a, we live in a Western culture, specifically American culture, and so there's lots of things that, that play into that for us. And whether you like it or not, the world around us, the American culture, um, revolves greatly on things that aren't God. It revolves around money, these capitalist ideas that, that you have to work really hard for what you get. You have to work really hard for your worth. Um, and these, these things can be valuable, at a, at a basic level, you know, hard work is valuable. Um, you know, make money is, we need money. But if we're looking to these things as our savior, if we're looking to them to show our value and our worth, there's something very wrong with that. Um, and on top of that, we live in Boston, which is, um, I would say, most likely epitomizes the Western American, you know, culture. It, um, we, are, we are the... Um, the educated, progressive world that is that that thinks for you know for lack for better or worse that we're we're on top of the world, um, and I, I I say this as a you know I'm a stranger to Boston I'm I've only been here a year but as I've come in I've noticed this that there is this culture of like almost elitism um, I was overhearing a conversation the other day from some people just walking down the park and they're like, oh, I'm so glad that we live in a state that just values science. And, and that, that's a good thing, I agree, we value science. But they're talking about, it in relation to the rest of the world, that we're, we're this superior, um, superior breed of people. And, and there's something so, so wrong about that. The, we prize intellect over God. Our need for God is not there. And, and the world around us 
uh, doesn't, doesn't need, they don't feel that they need God. Um, and so we're playing against this culture. Um, we're playing against this. Um, we do need God. At the end of the day, we, we all at a core level need God. Um, it's, a, it's a level playing field between, between us in, in Boston as intellectuals as it is for people who may not be in the same culture as us in the same world. We all need God. Um, and, you know, I just want to hit a little strongly on the, on the, uh, our ability to make money and build wealth is not our worth and cannot be our God. And, and I'm not saying that our structure uh, needs to be replaced by a different structure. I'm speaking specifically of capitalism. There, there, there's this idea that we have this best system, or even democracy. You know, there, these are great systems, but when they're corrupted by people who don't need, know they need God, they become abusive, they become, um, they become oppressive to people. And so we as the kingdom people are not called to just replace those systems. We're called to live out the system of God, the kingdom of God, the government of God in our life. Um, so that's, that's contrary. We're, we're called to be contrary by being poor in spirit, choosing not to trust in money to save us, being generous. Jesus calls us all throughout scripture to be generous and reminding ourselves that we need God and need a king. So this next one, we're going to jump into blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The world around us says blessed are those who do what they want at whatever cost. Blessed are those. The word blessed here directly translates to happy, actually, believe it or not. Happy are those who, the world says happy are those who chase after their desires, who, who get their needs met from wherever they can, who, who um, look to sex and, and other things to, to provide their needs. And we're not like that. Um, the highest place of happiness is in God and in righteousness and living the way that God created us to live. And so there are specific things in, in Scripture and in the Bible that God gives us these commands that are contrary to the world and what the world says will bring us happiness, but we get to trust that and know that, no, there is happiness found in this. Um, we, don't, we, don't live, uh, we don't live like the world. I, I want to highlight the word abstinence here, and I'm not talking like, you know, high school abstinence, you know, just around sex, but actually there's a beauty in our abstinence from things like gossip, things like um, drug culture, things like the, the abuse of other people, the talking down to other people. We're abstaining from, from sex before marriage and things like that. There's, there's um, a way that we live that's different. Um, and, and I don't want to harp too much on the, the, the sexual thing because I realize that that's been abused in many, even Christian cultures around purity culture that's made people feel this shame about their sexuality. But actually, God is inviting us to invite him into our sexuality and have conversations with him about our sexuality. And so if we're, um, if we're not doing that, then we aren't, um, we're going to blow with the wind of the world or we're going to feel shame. And so there's happiness. I want to point this out again, the word happiness. There's happiness in, in a righteous way of living out your sexuality and living out your desires. 
So that's another contrary. contrary we're living contrary by um, not, not getting our needs met in the ways that the world around us gets their needs met. Not going along with the cultural norms of what they say is right and wrong. And inviting God into these spaces with us. Um, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So this is directly contrary to our culture today as well. Our world says blessed are those who can make the most compelling argument, who can shut up the people on the other side, who can um, make people feel really bad about their, their own opinions. But we're called to be peacemakers. We're, we're called to bring peace into those spaces. Um, the world says blessed are those who, who take up arms and fight for their personal rights. You can't take my rights away from me. The world says that. It says, blessed, our, our American culture says, the harder you fight for your rights, the more blessed you are. This says, blessed are the peacemakers. He calls us, if you've read the words of Jesus, this isn't just these scriptures that he's saying this. This is a very common theme. I think we could use more teaching on turning the other cheek. The, the word in the Bible of Jesus saying, if someone hits you, turn the other cheek, let them hit you again. And, and that's a principle that Jesus, the, you know, God laid out for us. And so we need to, we need to break free from this idea that we, we are to fight really, really hard with our words and with our actions to get what we want and to get power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's true. We like this is this is a foundational Christian teaching right here. Peacemakers. And we also need to jump into the places where there's no peace. In order to bring peace, we can't just be on the sidelines either. If we're seeing um, strife, if we're seeing oppression, if we're seeing argue, you know, if we're seeing this this division in our world, we get to jump into that world and bring the peace. It's not just about ignoring it. Like, we need to go into it. So that's contrary. We have to live contrary to the world around us. I know I'm brushing through these really fast, but there's a lot. Um, How do we do that? We turn the other cheek. We remove ourselves from environments and conversations that make us angry and full of rage. We have permission to do that. If you're someone... I was recently hearing or listening to a teaching from someone, a pastor... And he said, he's like, I, I just have to remove myself from political conversations right now because I'm not a peace bringer in those situations. And you can recognize that in yourself. If you're, if you're filled with rage, anger, or want to shut someone down in a conversation, you're not bringing peace. I can tell you that. Step back, invite the Holy Spirit for solutions to bring that peace. We have self-control, and we have grace, and we forgive, and we reconcile. Reconcile. (laughs) I'll go there again. Sorry. Reconciliation. (laughs) Um, My, I, I have friends in my life who have said these words, and they're Christians who have said, "I will never ever reconcile with my parents because they voted for this specific person," or "I will never ever speak to this person again because they've said this." And I'm like, "This is that's so not." Christian, that is so not the way of Jesus. We are called to reconcile with one another. We are called to live contrary to the world around us. 
So that's the first point, contrary. Second is contrasting. We are called to be contrasting to the world. Um, and the, while this is similar to contrary, contrary I, I'm describing as not doing what the world does do. Contrasting to me is doing what the world doesn't do. So we're not just removing ourselves from certain things, we're actually inserting ourselves in certain areas. So, and contra contrast is, is it's an art term. I think of it in terms of art because I, I'm an artist. And so the definition of contrast is the state of being strikingly different from something else in juxtaposition or in close association. So if you have a black pen and you've got a white piece of paper, that's where the art comes alive, is when you draw with that black pen, you see it against the white, and that's where the art comes from. So when you put them next to each other, they're very clearly Dis distinct between the two and you can't have art without contrast because contrast creates the image that you're trying to create on a piece of paper and um, we as people of God are called to be that we're called to bring contrast to the world like I said at the beginning of this when we prayed we are already living in contrast to the world we showed up woke up early and we came here and we're worshiping together we're doing something that the world around us well i know there are other churches meeting and other faiths meeting right now and as a general rule the world around us is not getting up early on a sunday morning <laughs> so let's jump into another beatitude blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And meek means, um, at a basic level, gentle. So we are called to, to bring gentleness into the spaces and meekness into the spaces that we go. Um, as I said before, the Jews, when Jesus was preaching this, they were expecting a savior. They were expecting someone to come and save them from Rome. And what they wanted was this conquering, powerful king who would come and just dominate all of their opposition and take the Romans out. But Jesus did not do that. He came, he sat on a hill, and he said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle. And they're probably like, huh? Like, wait, you're the guy that's supposed to save us from this evil regime, and you're, you want to be gentle right now? <laughs> and our world says the same thing. Our world says, we have to have power over other people. We have to have power of control. We have to go into spaces. There's like this movement of coaching where you're like, you gotta go out and just like be super dominant and just take what you want. And, and I get that. I, I think that, um, yeah, I, it, it makes sense. But, but the, the point of this is that we're meant to be gentle. We're meant to be, we're not going to have power over people. We're going to, um, with gentleness as our manner. <clears throat> and um, I think this is really, really important, even right now in the, in the world and in culture, and I know Julian talks about this a lot, um, and even in the church, we have this idea in some circles where we have to get to the top of whatever sphere that we're in so that we can control everyone below us. And we want a Christian president so that he can, in, be powerful and make everyone follow our rules and live like a Christian and strong and mighty and, and arrogant and, you know, like that's not, that's not what we do. We do meek, gentle, wherever we go. And we, we, there is a difference between our position and um, 
and our posture. So, so we have a position through scripture. It says that we are sons and daughters of God. We sit at the right hand of Jesus. We, we have this power within us through the Holy Spirit. And that's our position. No one can take that away from us. No one, if you go into a workplace, no one can say that you're less than. No one can say that you have less value. But our, our, our posture as we go into those places has to be of gentleness and meekness. This is contrasting to the world. People will notice when you go into a workspace or wherever you're going to go and you're gentle and you're kind and you're meek. People will notice that because it's not normal. The next one, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. This is another beatitude that's very contrasting to our Western world. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I I was thinking about this this week of how um, when people lose a loved one, they go to, most often, there's still uh, this um, cultural norm to go to a place of worship, to go to a Christian church, to, to perform the funeral. And that's because it's very foundational in Christianity is mourning, mourning. Um, it's not something new. It's something that's been around since forever, and it's something that has stood people apart, people of faith, um, people who know God, the Jews and Christians, apart from our world because we know how to mourn. Um, and the Western world wants to move on so quickly. We, we, um, even just thinking about this last year, COVID nineteen, we've had millions of loss of life. But not only loss of life, we've lost friendships over arguments about masks we've lost i know people who've like disowned their family because of these things Um, we've lost we've lost jobs people have lost money people have lost their homes people there's been an incredible loss over this last year and yet when i turn on the radio or when i hear a conversation on the side of the street or even in my own conversations with people all we want to talk about is like when is this going to be over let's like Let's move on. What's next? How can, when can we take our masks off? When can we, you know, and these are good things. I want to take the masks off. I want to get back into public spaces. But one thing that we, we have an opportunity as people who love Jesus right now is to show the world what it looks like to mourn, to mourn with people. Um, mourn, yeah, the Bible says mourn with, with those who mourn. Maybe Maybe this last year hasn't personally affected you in an area of loss, but it has affected someone sitting next to you today and people in your workplace. And to stop and to pause and to consider those losses is, uh, is something we can do to contrast the world. The, I don't know if you're familiar with the Psalms of Lament, but there's these pieces of of psalm in the Bible that are called the lament psalms, and some psalms start with lament and have break into joy at the end, but there's 70% of the psalms, believe it or not, are lamenting psalms. So they're the, the writers of psalms saying, God, why, why is this happening to us? What's mourning? They're, they're mourning their losses. They're grieving things. And the beautiful thing is there is this joy. We carry the hope of the world because we have Jesus, we know the cross. And so it's not lament to no end of just spiraling into depression. In fact, when you lament with God, there's this grieving that happens and then joy is brought. And there's 
that's, that's another thing that separates us from the world is that, that if, you're not, if you're not grieving those things, you will spiral into depression. That's how it works. But if, you, if you're grieving with the Lord, if you're speaking to the Lord about your losses, you're entering into his joy and his life. Um, so it's not this aimless spirals of, of mourning. Blessed are the, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus is bringing comfort to us in our mourning. This is contrasting to the world. All right. So, why are we called to contrast the world? I'm going to read a little bit more. We're going to go to verse 13. And I already read this, but I'm going to read it again. <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What does salt do? Salt tastes food. It preserves food. It brings flavor to the food. It, at a very core level, it complements the food. If you have a meal with no salt, it tastes terrible. But when you put salt on it, it, it brings out the flavors of, the, of the, the food that you're eating, the meal that you're eating. And in the same way, if you put a spoon of salt and you just like take that spoon of salt, it's going to taste bitter, it's going to taste awful, that's disgusting. Or if you put the salt in one piece of your food, have you ever like done that, where there's like, you accidentally get too much on one bite, and then you take a bite, and you're like, ooh. And so as people of God, we're called to be the salt of the earth. We, we spread around the world. We're not running, de departing, going to one place. We're, we're contrasting the world by being in the world. You can't bring contrast if you're not in the world. So that's what it means to be salt of the earth. You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is contrast again, light and dark. You can't the, the, the bright takes away from the dark. You see it way above the, the, the darkness around you because that's what light does. It contrasts the darkness. Um, I, I can't read this scripture without giving some context. And the, the city on a hill point or light of the world, God, God's pointing specifically to these Old Testament mandates where God created what were called cities of refuge. There were six cities of refuge in the Old Testament, and what they were, were they were cities strategically placed, so no matter where you were in, in, the, in, or in Israel, you could travel there in one day, um, and they were places where you could go find refuge if you were a murderer or, or were accused of murder, if you were a refugee or a foreigner. They were places specifically where God said, I want these cities so that if someone needs to run, and is afraid for their life or the, the vengeance that's going to come upon them. When they see that city, they're days away, they get there, and they know that they're safe. And obviously that points back to Jesus. Jesus is our refuge. He's brought our sins, our accusations can't come against us because we've been put in refuge. But he's also calling us to be these people. We are called to be out on a hill, a bright light, where people know that if they're lost, if they're broken, if they're foreigners, if they're, you know, they, they can run to us and they can find refuge. Um, and that is contrasting to the world. We are, we are the light. We are a home for people. 
we're contrasting to the world. All right, sorry, I hope I'm not going too long. <laughs> so, my last point, confusing. We are called to be contrary, we are called to be contrasting, and lastly, we are called to be confusing. A few years ago, I, um, I had a free summer where I didn't know what I was going to do, and I felt the Lord speak to me, um, not audibly, but just in my mind, saying, hey, why don't you go live with your grandparents in Carson City, Nevada, which is a very boring city. And I, I was like, okay, is that right? And I really felt strongly that God was calling me to go live with my grandparents. And there was a job opportunity in that city, and it was a short-term, like, three-month thing. So I was like, maybe I'll do it. And I really strongly felt it. And so I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I tell my family, I tell my cousins, and they're like, what on earth are you thinking? Like, <laughs> your grandparents are boring, they're forgetful, they're grumpy a lot. Like, why would you go live with with our grandparents, they're great people. We love them, but don't go stay with them. And so I'm like, well, yeah, you're right, but I'm gonna do it. I really feel it from the Lord. So I go and I, I move to Carson City, Nevada. It's like 45 minutes from any of my friends or family. I don't know anyone there. It's boring. I think I had like just turned 21 too, so it was like peak time, but I was like, no, I'm gonna go with these old people. And. Uh, <laughs> And it was like probably 20% fun and the rest was terrible. And I, they were boring, they were grumpy and forgetful. Even one night I came home from work and my grandparents, bless them, they had forgotten that I was staying with them. And so they locked me out, but I wasn't gonna like bang on the door because they're asleep already. So I'm like, because they'll freak out, think someone's breaking in. So I just left them in ho at home and just slept in the car that night and then returned the next day. And they were like, nothing ever happened. They're like, oh, hey, look. And I'm like, do you realize that I was staying here? But anyway, it was so sweet. Um, but <laughs> all that to say, there, was this, um, there were these amazing moments that I got to have with them that I would never take back for a million years. I got to spend coffees in the morning with my grandpa and hear stories, just ask him to tell me stories. And I pulled out my phone and would like record and now our family has these memories of my grandpa and um, got to play golf with my grandpa and spend, just spend quality time with my grandparents. And I really treasure that time. <clears throat> and a year later, I actually moved to South Africa with these guys. And my biggest fear was that I was going to lose one of my grandparents while I was away. Even though they were in great health, there was no concerns whatsoever about their health. They were youth, like youthful. And um, I get a call one night, and it's from my mom. And I knew immediately it was something bad. And she says that my grandpa's about to pass away. And he ended up dying the next, or the, in that week. And I didn't get a chance because I was thousands and thousands of miles away to go back and say goodbye to my grandpa. Um, but there was this sweetness in it for me because I knew that God had, um, he'd given me those moments with him that I, I never would have done if I wasn't just listening to his voice and hearing what he had to say. And I treasure all the memories from that time. And I know that's a very simple example of being confusing to the world. My family was like, what are you thinking? Um, it's a very simple one that some of us will be called to live much more confusing lives. We'll 
be called into the mission field or we'll be called to work jobs that we don't like or don't love because that's our mission field or we'll be called into ministry or or called not to do the traditional thing of what your family thinks that you're supposed to do or even at an extreme level some will be called to be martyred um, for the kingdom that's a, that's confusing to the world why would you die for what you believe in that's not something that that the world around us does um, but that's my point is that we're meant to be confusing to the world there's the first people who had to live out these beatitudes were um, the the people of acts the book of acts in the bible they Jesus had left and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and now they're expected to live out all these ways that Jesus had laid out for them and it was confusing to the world. It says that many were added to their numbers but many were afraid, many were in awe of what they were doing. They were, weren't sure if they wanted to be a part of this because it looked so extreme. And so are we living lives that make perfect sense to the world around us. Katya talks about this all the time. If your decisions, if your path is making sense to everyone, even some of the Christians around you, if it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's what you do next, step one, step two, go to college, do that, work this job, make a lot of money, you know, if, if that's how you're living, then I'd argue that you're not living to your full potential Come in the on. kingdom of God. Um, our last beatitude I'm going to jump into, and possibly the scariest one. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets, or so were the prophets persecuted before you. <clears throat> Persecution, um, I think it's scary. <laughs> it's scary to think that if we live out all these beatitudes, that people will hate us for it. But they will. That's, that's almost promised. In the, it is promised in the Bible that we will be persecuted um, as a church. And so... What I don't want you to get at is to become obsessed with persecution. I think there's a, there's a movement right now of people who are, who are obsessed with this persecution, that they think everything is persecution, but they're not actually living out the eight Beatitudes. They're only living out the persecuted one. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> that, that, that's the point, right? He gives us these eight ways to live. Eight things that you, if you do them, the world is going to be confused. They're going to be perplexed. You're going to be going against the grain. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is the way you live righteously causing people anger? Then you probably are doing it right. Blessed are those who mourn. If you're grieving, if you're humbly going into places, poor in spirit, meek, if you're merciful to others, that will confuse the world. It will cause them to hate you. That's what the Bible says. And... So, so let's not get, get obsessed with, oh, everything I say and do is obviously persecution. I'm going in angry, I'm causing fights, I'm stirring up, I'm stirring up people's anger, and because, because these people are shouting mean words at me, haha, I'm, I'm right, obviously, now I'm being persecuted. That's not a, like, persecution isn't a fruit of the Spirit either. It's, it's not, it's not an evidence that you are living right because you're being persecuted Come and if you're doing it with the wrong heart you're not that the blessing comes by by 
it says here, let me find it real quick. Blessed are you who utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, on Jesus, for Jesus' name's sake. If you're, if you're speaking true Jesus, the love of Jesus, his teachings, not just here, but throughout the Bible, and people are persecuting you because of that, that is true persecution. Let's yeah. not insult the, you know, the Christians who were martyred and, and killed by thinking that someone saying you're stupid on, inter- on the internet is persecution. So anyway, um, <laughs> um, but we also can't become obsessed with it in the sense of fear and living in this constant, like, like if you're living in, in Jesus and persecution comes, we can't be afraid of that. We can't step back and say, oh gosh, now what? I need to go withdrawal. I need to go be somewhere in a bunker and be afraid of the world. And I don't want to get killed. You know, like it's going to come. Persecution is going to come to us. And we need to be aware of that. But we, we also can't be afraid of that. There's joy in it. Jesus says, blessed are you, happy are you who are persecuted. We get to live in joy no matter what the world says. It's confusing to the world. It's confusing to the devil that we're going to be happy through it all. It's, it's confusing. <laughs> but that's what we're called to be. And I'm not saying persecution doesn't happen. Um, I'm not saying it doesn't happen to Christians in America. But I am just saying that... Um, that we need to think about it in the way of, am I living the life that Jesus is really calling? Um, And it will provoke curiosity. So this this thing of confusing, um, not only will some people reject you for living the way of Jesus, some people will be intrigued and excited by the way you're living for Jesus. It will confuse them so much that they're gonna be like, wait, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? And we're seeing that, I think, you know, Eli's working um, in the city, like all of us are working in the city and I've heard lots of stories of people who are like, wait, you do what? You're going to church here, why, you know? And it provokes this curiosity in them because they're like, this is so different from what your average person on the streets is doing, why, why can't I do that, you know? And so we need to be aware of that too. Some people are gonna hate us for it, some people are gonna jump, jump right in and be excited about it. Um, so those are my, I wish I could go through all the Beatitudes, but I wanna close here. Obviously, when Jesus came and he sat down and he gave these Beatitudes, like I said, they, they were expecting a Moses, and when Moses came and brought down the commandments, the Jews failed miserably for hundreds and hundreds of years at following these laws. Jesus, or Moses came, gave them the Ten Commandments, they broke them. They, you know, he, had to, he had to create more and more hundreds of laws. God had to keep giving these laws because we just couldn't follow them. Um, and so what makes us different? Now Jesus came, he's giving us these new ways of living. Um, and we're, we're expected to live them out. And what's, who's to say we're going to be any different? And these, these, the Beatitudes and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount really up the stakes to what Moses gave. Moses gave, do not give the, do this, do not do that, do this, don't do that. Very specific laws. Jesus comes and says, you are the side of, light of the world. You are a city, you know, like... You, blessed are those who are meek. Like, how do we, these are heart cultures in us. We can't just know that we're doing them right by what we do. They're heart cultures. The stakes have been upped through Jesus. Um, and I believe that the answer to that, how do we live these out, is right there in the word. Jesus says, you are salt and light. 
you are salt and light. You are the light of the world. He's saying, I am here and I'm giving you this as a part of your identity, as a part of who you are. And he gives us the spirit of God to actually be able to live these out. It's not just about our effort or how hard we work to do these things. He's actually giving us the means to do them. So it's by the spirit. We can't be blessed. We can't be happy. We can't live out the Beatitudes without the spirit of God. So, as people of God, we are called to these three, three things. I'll just re- reiterate them for you. We are called to live contrary to the world by not doing what the world around us does and not living by a product of the world around us. We're called to live contrasting to the world by doing what the world doesn't do, by being meek, considering, and mourning, bringing flavor and light and salt to it. And then we're called to be confusing to the world by living out the Beatitudes, provoking curiosity, interest in God, and even fear in people by the way that we live. All right, so why don't we all just close our eyes? And actually, if you guys want to stand, that'd be awesome. <clears throat> so there, I, I covered a lot of stuff in here, and there's way more to cover in those Beatitudes. Um, But the last thing I want you to walk away with is that you just have to try harder or that you're not living right or that there's things wrong with you or the way that you're doing life. We we have this opportunity to just respond in faith and actually invite the Holy Spirit. Okay, your spirit is the one who's going to help me live these things out. For our our church, for the table, your spirit is the one who's going to help us live out these beatitudes as a community. Let's invite, let, let's invite him to do that. Holy Spirit, just um, speak to us right now, God. We just invite your spirit to um, tenderly show us the way in areas that we need to know what you have to say here, God. We're, we're crying out for a Messiah, just like the Jews. God, we're, we're hungry for you, God. We want to be, we want to hear your voice, Father. And so I'm just going to invite response, and this can be in your heart. You don't have to jump up to the front of the room or anything like that. But there's three areas I just want to um, highlight here. If Maybe you've been conforming to the world and listening to culture before listening to God. You're like blowing with the wind. You're doing what the world around you is, is doing. If that's you, just I just invite you to... Do some business with God, and that just means, you know, just listen to his voice. Just admit, say, hey, God, I think I've been conforming to this world. I think I've been just going with what the world is telling me to do and not what you're speaking. Or maybe you've been been doing the opposite. Maybe you've been afraid of the world, afraid to stand out, afraid to do anything different. And this is called the fear of man. We talk about this sometimes in ministry times here it's called fear of man and what that all that really means is that you are afraid of what people are going to think about you by the way that you live by the way that you live out your faith and this is like this is such a powerful thing when this is broken when the fear of man is broken over over you you get to live out the the call of god on your life without worrying about what what anyone else says about who you are like how freeing is that that's amazing so if that's you if you feel like that's something you've been battling i mean i want more breakthrough and freedom in that i'm jumping up to to get that just 
um, just make yourself aware of that and speak that to God. And then lastly, if you've been just avoiding the world, if you're too, if you're too scared of being persecuted or swept into the world, if you're not living in, in contrast to the world, you're, you're departing, you're, you're, you're disengaging with culture, you're disengaging with, with the way the, the Beatitudes call you to live, I just want you to just speak that out to the Lord. And you can put your hand on your heart or your head if that's you or not. You can just invite the Holy Spirit. So God, right now, yeah. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to us right now, Father. We don't want to be conformed to a way that you haven't created us, God. So we just break off. I break off the bondage of, of s- cycles of, of um, sin or sexuality, things that are oppressing you in the way that you, um, you experience or express your sexuality, God. I just pray that you would just break that off from people, even addictions of pornography or other things. Or, or um, yeah, God, just, just our bad thinking about, about sex, God. I just ask that you just break that off right now. And even right now, if there's people who feel um, uh, oppressed about the way they've been feeling or the shame about the way that they've been living out their sexuality, God, I just pray that you would come and just bring a freedom there right now, God. We just say we want to live for you, God. We want to live for who you are. And if you're dealing with fear of man, God, I just pray that you just break off every one of us, including myself, God, this idea that we have to live in in a way that makes sense to the rest of the world, God. I break off this fear of what other people are going to think, a fear of what other people are going to say. I feel like there are dreams in people's hearts that they've been holding back because specifically of what their family or their parents are going to say about them because they don't feel loved and supported by their parents. God, I just break that right now, Lord, that we wouldn't answer to anyone but you in the way that we live, God. Thank you that true happiness comes from living in righteousness the way that you've called us to live, God. Thank you, Jesus. And if you are, if you've never, um, if you've never experienced Jesus in this light, if you've never, if, if you've heard about God or never heard about God and you've never experienced this gentle, meek, kind God, you thought that he was controlling and powerful over you and wants to control your life, I just invite you to to ask him to speak to you and tell you who he really is. Yeah, God, just speak to hearts today. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus. for a moment Father we love your presence we love what you're doing with us we're a grateful people today we ask you to keep meeting with us we ask you to keep filling us God we need your spirit to live this out and we ask you for that in Jesus name
This is the Sunday Morning Podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.